You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Can we give our band just a hand clap this morning how they led us today in worship? Man, it's, it's glad to hear voices, but then to think about God. Uh, and not focus our attention on those who have been used by God, but the one they are leading us to. And so, if you are new here and you don't know who I am, uh, shame on you. (laughs) You should know who I am, even if this is your first time visiting, amen? (laughs) Somehow, found out. Google is your friend. Well, all that been said, man, uh, I am Valentine, or they would say I'm Valentine, and uh, man, this is my last official time as an elder at Stonegate preaching here this morning. Uh, I know that some of y'all are joyful, <laughs> good riddance, and there's a small few of y'all are really sad. Praise God for you, Amen. But if you don't know, man, and so God, man, he will be, uh, next Sunday is my last Sunday, I'll be sent out to the great city or town of Cedar Hill, Texas. Come on now. Uh, uh, I'm excited about what God is going to do through Omni Fellowship uh, over over these next few years. And so with that being said, uh, there's something that's really been on my heart uh, for a long time. I think this, this message today is going to cater towards that. Uh, but before I start, you know, when we look at our Bibles, when we look at Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2, uh, what we do see is an amazing God taking nothing and creating something and calling it good. Uh, we see in chapter 2, I mean, verse, uh, chapter 2 of verse 7, God, he takes dust and he breathes breath into this living being. We see in verse 15 of chapter 2 how God gives this man a job. Men should work, amen? (laughs) He gives gives him a job and then he gives him his word about what he should and should not do. And Adam had one thing. Have everything else, but don't miss this. Don't eat from this one tree. We see later on in that chapter that God puts Adam into a coma, puts Adam to sleep, Uh, takes a rib out of Adam and closes that rib up. He creates this fine specimen uh, called Eve. So fine that Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Let's get it on. (laughs) Verses 24 and 25, they become one flesh. Something happens in chapter 3. Satan is is on the scene called the most cunning creature of them all. He goes into a a conversation with Eve while Adam is standing right there. Uh, 
They begin to converse and Satan deceives her and she eats of the tree that God told them not to eat of. Everything, in a sense, is still good until Adam decides not to listen to God, and yet to, but to listen to his wife. And in, listening, and in listening to his wife and Eve listening to a Satan, uh, we have what some call this cosmic rebellion because no one is listening to God. What happens in Genesis chapter 3 is there is this breakup. There is this broken relationship that happens between God and man. And we see God's plan to restore what Adam, or what the first Adam, messed up. Uh, that God had a plan to send this last Adam uh, to restore, uh, to fix, in a sense, what the first Adam had messed up. And so if you had to uh, uh, look at the totality of Scripture from Genesis chapter 3 until the coming of Christ, it's God's plan to not only to, to actually redeem man, but to reconcile man back to himself. And that's where today we find ourselves because, because of Adam's disobedience to God, there is now this universal alienation that everyone is born estranged an enemy of God. And God wants to restore, God wants to reconcile what man has done. And that's the backdrop of this text, what, what Paul is going to pen, that in the midst of a Hellenistic religion that believes that man is called to restore themselves through their gods or in Judaism, where if I confess my sins and repent, then I will be reconciled unto God. Paul is going to turn this idea upside down. It's not that men is being reconciled to God. It is God reconciling men. That when it comes to this idea of being reconciled, it has nothing to do with you or with God. And it's amazing how God, being the offended, pursues the offender. That's the idea of reconciliation. One, one definition that I want us to work from and to work with is this. Reconciliation is the activity of God. It's key. Because in this, in this particular text that we're going to read, the word reconciliation is used five times as a noun and as a verb. Active and passive in nature. But all is an activity of God that exchanges a broken relationship, again, found in Genesis 3, with a restored relationship found with those who are going to trust in Christ, 
through the work of Christ on the cross. It is the activity of God. So if you turn with me uh, to verse uh, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians verse 18, uh, man, we're going to see that, uh, that the first idea I-, I want to lay before you is that reconciliation, like I said before, it is all of God. Look what Paul says in verse 18 through 20. He says, all this is from God. Now, what is the, the this that Paul is talking about? Well, maybe Paul is talking about in verse 11 where when someone fears the Lord, that's a work of God. Maybe in verse 14 of chapter 5, Paul, he's, he's, he's recalling his, his, his uh, command for the church at Corinth to let the love of Christ control them in such a way where they live, for themse- where they live not for themselves, but for the one who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, But maybe Paul is referring to verse 16 where Paul says that that we no longer see a Christ of flesh as we did in the flesh. But now that Christ has been revealed to us, we see others in Christ. We see people in Christ differently. Maybe Paul is referring to verse 17, that therefore, if, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old has passed, and behold, the new has come. When you look at these five things, Paul says, all of this is from God. But when you look at the totality of salvation, when you talk about justification, us standing before God guilty and God in that, at that moment declaring us righteous. That's an act, an activity of God. Maybe you are referring to or thinking about the idea of redemption, that we stand before God as slaves, but God in his grace, he frees us from the slavery of sin to a freedom found in Christ. Maybe you are thinking about Forgiveness, how we stand before God as debtors in debt to God. And yet in that standing before God, because of Christ, he forgives us. Or maybe you're thinking about reconciliation. How we stand before God as strangers and aliens, estranged from God. And God, in that moment, he declares us friends. Or maybe you're thinking about adoption. How before salvation we stood before God as a stranger. And now we are his sons and daughters. When you look at the totality of salvation, all of this is of and from God. This portion of scripture is very God-centered. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ, God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God. So it's in Christ, it's through Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are 
ambassadors of Christ, God, making his, his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, then to be reconciled. There's no doubt that when you read this portion of scripture, that it's really, that really what we see is God is the mover of every mention of reconciliation. In these verses, he is the one that is seeking harmony, peace, and fellowship through messed up people like ourselves. It is God saying, I'm, it is the offended saying, I'm going after the offender. What? A grace from God. So we see that God in this, that he, that, that he, is, he is the mover, the starter, the, the, the one who initiates this idea of reconciliation. But how does God, how does God, how does God work this out today? Well, we see that when you read verses 18, he says this. That, that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And y'all, this has two sides of it. There's a spiritual side of it, and there's a side that is very practical. There's a spiritual side. Because when, you, when we look at the cross, there's a, a vertical thing, that we're, there's a vertical reconciliation to be had that informs how horizontal is to be had also. So look at this, look at the spiritual. I love how Charles, Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, this ministry of reconciliation, it is to labor in love, to bring men into harmony with God, that they may be willing to accept God, uh, to accept what God has done through the making of the everlasting peace and ending once for all the grievous feud. That when it comes to us having been given, been, been, that this ministry has been laid to us, put into our hands, God has said, I'm calling you to labor in love to ensure that, that no one that I've put you around will, will, will actually remain an enemy because of your labor for love for you to serve them in such a way that your whole job is to serve them to reconcile them to myself. That, that, that when God puts us around lost people, the whole goal is for us to serve them, to love them in such a way they accept this message that we'll see in a minute of reconciliation. That, that we've been called, we've been given this, this service, this idea of love, that we are to love and serve people, man, to remind them what God has done for them and sending his son to be reconciled for them. So we all have this, this ministry. The service. And God says, it's been laid to you. It's been given to you. But not only do we have this service, this ministry, we have also, he says, uh, 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 this, that, 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 that spiritual, we have one also that is very practical. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, you get your praise on. You're getting your shot on. You're lifting your hands up. So y'all, y'all are dancing around the altar. Y'all, y'all got it going on. But then, now you remember that your brother has something against you. Huh. The offended, no, the the offended, remember that 
there's something that the offender did that has broken the relationship between us. Now, the offended did not commit the offense. But the Bible says if the offended, who in a sense they would say is good, remember that the offender has something against you, he says you, you leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer up your gift. Let me pause here for a moment. He said, if you remember anything that your brother or sister has done, if they have something against you, now you're good, but you know they have something against you. The Bible says you are to leave the altar and go be reconciled, to go and to seek and seek and pursue harmony and peace. And oneness. Now, I know that many of you have nobody that you have issues with. This is not the problem here at Stonegate. We're talking about those outside of Stonegate who know offended parties who have a, a, a party who are offenders that have offended you, and you say that I'm good. Listen, if an offender has offended you, God is saying you who was defended to go be reconciled with the uh, offender and don't wait for the offender to come to you. Hey, let's think about that. That's boss, spouse, kids, neighbors, co-workers, maybe your own sister and brother in Christ. Now, here's something I want to say about, about reconciliation. Because I went through it. I've learned this the hard way, man, that even though you seek to make things the way they were before the offense happened, sometimes it just doesn't happen. There's a consequence involved. So even though, you, even though I mean, you, you desire for things to be the way that they were because we've been reconciled and we've offered up the gift of forgiveness, I've come to realize that it isn't always the case that things go back to the way that they were. But that doesn't stop you from pursuing peace. Paul says, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, Live peaceably in harmony and unity with all. Who do you have something against and you refuse to go and be reconciled? Or who do you know that have something against you and you refuse to go and be reconciled? If Jesus commands us to do it and we don't do it, guess what? That is. James says, to him who know to do right and does not do it, that is sin. You're asking, why should I go and be, why should I go and seek reconciliation? 
because you've been reconciled by God. The greatest motivator for any child of God to be a reconciler of God in man is because you've been reconciled by God. Who are you holding the grudge against? Who are you avoiding? Who are you saying I'm done with? We're done. Who are you? Who, who are you to say you you're done with somebody? What if God said 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 that to you? You've been reconciled to reconcile. He's giving you the ministry, but we also see he's giving you the message. So this idea of reconciliation is both with our lives and with our lips. Listen and read to what this message is. The message of reconciliation is not telling people to make peace with God. That's not what we're telling them. Instead, but telling them that God has made peace with the world. We're simply asking them to receive the peace and the relationship that God has provided for all of us in Jesus. Our message is simple. Be reconciled to God. So we see that it is God who is the reconciler of all things, that it is God who creates the messenger and the ministry and the message of those who are called to reconcile. But how does God reconcile? Maybe you ask, well, how does God, how does God restore a broken relationship? Y'all are small, and I'm glad you asked the question. There's two things I want uh, to bring out. In verse 21, it says this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled. So in verse 18, we were, we were actually reconciled through Christ. The Bible says that, 18. But God is, but, so we, it's something that was done, and it is now something that's being done. I have before you this credit card uh, that is faithful to remind me on my phone and watch and bill I owe them. That whatever I swipe, they remind me you owed us for that. That's not free. Pay us back, please. And I mean, I mean, it doesn't take three seconds on my phone. I swipe on my phone. There it is. I swipe, and there it is. It's quick to remind me of the charges I made on my phone. But how does God continue to reconcile us? Let's imagine a swipe being a sin. That every time you sin, the charge comes up at zero. You swipe, you sin, zero. No matter how small or how big the sin is, because of Christ, the swipe is your account stays at zero forever. That while God has reconciled you and is now reconciling you, your account never has a balance. That's how God keeps on reconciling us. 
When you look at our account, it's zero balance. Yes, well, how in the world does that happen? How is it when I mess up, and I know, y'all listen, a brother, uh, I mess up a lot. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Ask my, my daughter has called me a liar, God forbid, and she's five years old. Daddy, you a liar, daddy. Now, I have some issues. And my wife and my daughter, they are quick. Even the dog tells me, roof, roof, you sinned. <laughs> Everybody reminds me of my charges. But when God looked at me through Christ because of what Christ has done for me, the charge, the balance is zero dollars, zero cents forever. That's good news. <laughs> That's how God, he keeps with you a relationship. That, that, that even in Christ, your relationship with God is never broken. How? Huh. Verse 21, he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some have turned this as the doctrine of mutual transfer. Two things I want to pull out from this. Number one is that Christ was made sin. Now, it's important to know and to hear me say this. Christ lived for three, 33 years and never committed one sin. And he was fully human. He never committed a sin. In thought, in word, or action. This perfect man that lived a perfect life, when he got up on the cross, God is saying, I'm going to make you sin. And what does that mean? Did Christ become a sinner? If Christ became a sinner, salvation would not be granted for any of us. So what happened on the cross? How did, how did God make Jesus sin? Glad you ask. Isaiah did not leave us clueless on this. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says this, yet it was the will of the Lord. It was the will of God the Father to crush God the Son. He crushed him. God the Father, who's, who, who's always been a father, pre-eternity and now, he crushed his eternal son. Why? How? He has put him to grief. He crushed him. He put his son to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. 
on the cross, what God did was that he put all of our sins on Jesus. And he punished Jesus for our sins. Him who knew no sin, who committed no sin, God the Father decided to punish him for our sins. He did nothing wrong. We did all the wrong, but remember, it is God who is reconciling us, not us going for him to be reconciled. God is sending his son, his perfect son, on the cross to become a sin offering for us. But why did he do it? It says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The doctrine of mutual transfer, some have called this the great exchange. But somehow, somewhere when Christ the Savior died on the cross, he took all of our sins, past, present, and future, put them on Jesus. And what did he give to us? His perfect righteousness. That when my, my wife calls me out, and she does, when my daughter calls me out, and she does, when the dog barks and calls me out, and believe me, he does, because I'm in Christ Jesus, the Father sees me as perfect, complete, lacking nothing, though I still mess up. So I've been declared righteous. I've been made righteous. I don't have to work for it. God did it for us. Amen. That's good news. And there's nothing we can do to undo what God has done. Yeah. Because he's done it all. He's reconciled us to be reconciled on us until he returns. And as long as we mess up and we are in Christ, our account stays Zero. I don't know about you, but I'm a mess. And I mess up consistently. But to know that when I stand before my Father one day in heaven, and we all will stand before him, we are, every Christian will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that all that we have done in this flesh, we will have to give and account for. But here's one thing we never have to worry about when God judges us and rewards us. That you committed this sin and you are no longer my son or daughter. Depart from me. That would never be the case of anyone who's a son and daughter of Jesus. Because of Jesus. You are as righteous as Jesus is because you are in Jesus. When he looks at you in Jesus, he sees no difference. Think about that. 
That should excite you. So what am I to do with this message? Well, I mean, so, okay, I got, I got it. God is the reconciler who is, who, is, who, is, who is reconciling me. He's given me this ministry. He's given me this message. Uh, I even understand now the means of reconciliation. It was Christ who, who, who for our sake became sin, who knew no sin that we might become, what, the righteousness of God. I understand that. So what are we to do with this message? Chapter 6 says this, verse 1. Together working with him, that is God, then we, Paul says, we, we, we appeal, we beg, we plead, we, we plead with you not to receive this grace, this, this ministry, this message of reconciliation in vain. That we are called to be stewards of the ministry and the message of reconciliation. My question to all of us in this room is what, what are you doing with it? I told the first service, I stand here not knowing that God, I am, I, I am spending my life serving those in, uh, in ministry of, of reconciliation in, and message because I have a neighbor named Vin. Neighbor, my Vin is a Buddhist. Jeff and Wong, who lives across the street, they don't know what they are, but they would not consider themselves Christians. I've spoken to Vin. I've chit-chatted with Jeff and with Wong. It's been two years. And guess what I've never done to them? Share the message of reconciliation. They are enemies of God. God opposes them. They're sin. And God says, son, I've placed you in their lives. I've given you the ministry and the message. You understand the means and the motive of why you're doing this. Why haven't you shared the message? I stand today knowing that somebody has something against me, and I know this, and I've yet to go out and be reconciled to them. This day. And what I want to do was reach out to them to tell you, I did it. But I haven't, because I realize how prideful I am. What are you doing with the ministry, with the message of reconciliation? Who do you know that you are avoiding because you don't want to talk about the issue that broke you guys or you ladies' relationship. I'm not saying that when you do this and you pursue that it's going to be okay because I'm not, they might reject you. But you don't worry about that. You do it because you've been reconciled. 
That's your motive. You do it because God has reconciled you. And listen, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Who have you not pursued? Who do you have something against, anything against? And you say, you know what? I'm not not pursuing reconciliation. You've been reconciled. To reconcile. The great news is that this morning when I preached this message, I don't think that the brother waited until after the service. He said, Valentine, I don't know why, I don't know what, but for seven, but for seven months, I have disliked you. And I don't even know why but I have something against you, man. And he said, man, will you forgive me? And can we be reconciled? Before he said it, I hugged him and kissed him on his cheek. Listen, when we pursue this because we've been pursued and we go out and we reconcile, man, who gets the glory in that is God? but you have to die to self. You have to clothe yourself with humility. Yeah, I got a, I got a father-in-law that is just, he's, he's, he's incredible. As I, that's, that is the best word that I can say for my father. He is incredible in a bad way. <laughs> but I told myself, I'm going to call him every week and say, man, I love you. And I mean it. How and what can I do to prove it? You're called to be reconcilers because you've been reconciled. Please don't let this grace be in vain. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.